Welcome to the 19th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, a deep dive into what may have been the NCAA basketball game of the year, and the NBA Week in Review. Let's jump right back in with a look at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start with college basketball, where in the first game Patrick predicted, Boise State beat Utah State 81-77, with Patrick correctly picking Boise State in this matchup. Moving over to two games in the Big 12, number 23 Kansas beat number 15 Texas Tech 67-61, with Patrick correctly picking the Jayhawks in this contest. And number 13 West Virginia beat number 12 Texas 84-82, with Patrick correctly picking West Virginia. And in Patrick's final game of the weekend, and perhaps the biggest game of college basketball this year, number 3 Michigan beat number 4 Ohio State 92-87. Patrick correctly picked Michigan, and we'll talk a lot about this game in our next segment. Uh, that means Patrick went 4-0 in his NCAA hoops predictions for the weekend. Let's move on to the NBA, where the Jazz fell to the Clippers on Friday's game, 116-112, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Jazz to sweep the Clippers in the back-to-back. The Heat beat the Lakers, surprisingly, 96-94. Patrick incorrectly picked the Lakers. The Suns dominated the Grizzlies, 128-97. Patrick correctly picked the Suns in this contest. And finally, the Raptors defeated the 76ers, 110-103, with Patrick incorrectly picking the 76ers in this game, meaning Patrick went 1-3 in his NBA predictions. Overall, that means Patrick was 5-3 in this weekend's predictions, which brings him to 66-31 overall this season, a 680 winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your picks this weekend? A slight dip in my win percentage after uh, this weekend's results. Uh, you know, I thought it was actually a really weak uh, slate of NBA games, and I thought that because, and I also don't repeat teams, so for those of you wondering, why didn't you pick the Nets against the Clippers? Well, that's I don't like to repeat teams. I don't want to have the Clippers being two of the eight teams that I pick when there are a bunch of teams. There are enough teams for me to pick different teams in every game. Uh so I picked the Jazz to beat the Clippers. Uh, I didn't expect Kawhi and Paul George to come back in that game. I honestly thought that Paul George would not be playing, though I did say actually on my article on my site, actually, I did say I don't think it matters who's injured. The Jazz almost came from behind to get the win at the end. I think they were down two at some point, and then two final free throws uh, iced the game. But uh, the Lakers, they also had a final shot chance to win the game. And the Sixers were up, I think, 14 at some point and lost their game. So those ones are pretty close. And then in college basketball, those were four really, really important games for a myriad of reasons for each of the games. But, uh, yeah, very satisfied that I picked them all right. I was expecting to. I picked off my gut. Uh, <laughs> I gut, for, gut pick first, reasoning later is, is my new motto for college because it, it, this is college basketball. It's crazy. It doesn't mean... The high-ranked team does not always win the game, so uh, yeah, that's kind of how I wanted to pick those games, and I think it turned out well. All the games, I think, betting line-wise, were within three or four points, maybe even two for all of them, uh, in different teams' favors. I think I picked two underdogs and one one favorite, but or two favorites, maybe maybe three and one, but. Yeah, overall, really satisfied with this week, especially in college. Yeah, you certainly didn't shy away from picking big matchups in college. The uh... Two games in the Big 12 were ranked versus ranked teams. The other two games that you picked featured the one and two teams in each conference in important matchups for the conference championships there. All right, well, that wraps up our talk about Patrick's weekend predictions. 
Uh, as always, his predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, 4thand24.com. On Thursday, you should check them out. As we mentioned in connection with Patrick's weekend predictions, there was a mega matchup in the best conference in college basketball on Sunday as number three Michigan traveled to Columbus to face number four Ohio State in what they may very well have been, uh, ended up being the best game of the year in college basketball, certainly during the regular season. So we're going to do something a little different here on the podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into this uh, battle of two college basketball heavyweights. Uh, it will be the biggest game unless Baylor and Gonzaga find a way to reschedule their uh, regular season matchup, but I'm sure both those teams might not want to do that and just say, we'll play you in the championship game if, you th- if you're there, we'll save our undefeated season by not playing you. Um, so for now, these teams, definitely the biggest game because Gonzaga and Baylor won't play each other as it seems now, so who's the next best? Michigan and Ohio State, and then Illinois actually after that, so maybe even Michigan-Illinois will be another 3-4 matchup. But this one means more because it's a rivalry game. It was it was a chance for Ohio State to actually get their 100th win in this matchup, too, and Michigan denied them. They played a great game. We said on our, weekly predict, on our weekend predictions uh, recap, 92-87, Michigan's win. Uh, they've been... Both teams have been ranked in the top five at the same time seven weeks before, but this is the first time they've ever played each other while both being in the top five. And really, this game was just... There there were little, little, little plays to find this game. One play I really want to point out is when the game was 77-74, uh, 2.38 left. Justice Suing tried to get a little too fancy, maybe watched LeBron a few too many times yesterday against the Heat, and... Threw a behind-the-back pass, uh, uh, down down three in this game, and threw it to nobody. The people he thought he was throwing to were not looking at the ball. This is why you don't throw behind-the-back passes unless you they have... They were moving away from the ball. They were both moving towards, towards the, basket, the basket, and he was throwing it behind the back at the three-point line. Not even the Michigan players realized it for about a second and a half, and then eventually Isaiah Livers found it and got an and-one, actually, at the other end to go up by six. Uh, that was a huge, huge play in this game, and it was one of those things where that that's truly what this game came down to. There were nine turnovers for Ohio State and seven for Michigan. Not much not much error for either team. Uh, at the beginning of the game, Ohio State was out-rebounding and out-offensive rebounding. Michigan had a lot more second-chance points, and then all of a sudden you look back at the end of the game score, and Michigan ended up winning that battle on the offensive glass, 10-7, to winning the overall rebounding battle. 30 to 26. Michigan also has an, a plus eight uh, off a rebounding margin over the year. So definitely one of their strengths. So it was actually kind of surprising, at least for me, to see Ohio State actually out rebound Michigan for the first few, I would say probably almost the entirety of the first half. And, uh, but you know, there's also not many rebounds to get when both teams shoot above 53%, especially when one team, that being Michigan, Shoots 10 for 13 from three, 77% in the first half. Uh, went Came down to one, earth a bit in the second half. When, went one of 10 in the second half to bring that down to 47.8% in total. But in the end, this was just a crazy game. This was definitely, because of the hype was the game of the year. I think the best game of the year was still West Virginia, Oklahoma. But nobody, but not, not nearly as much of an audience on that in terms of... Uh, overall implications those are that was a fight for second maybe even third place but this is the fight for first so yeah it's, much it's more always important. great because it doesn't often happen that you hype a game all week or people really point to it and then it, it, it truly is um, a fantastic game uh this game is one of those ones that lived up to the hype Jawan howard 
described it like watching a heavyweight fight where one team would throw a blow and you know, not literally but figuratively would take the lead. The other team would come storming back, but you know nobody was really ever out of the game till kind of the final minute when uh, Michigan stretched the lead and Ohio State had to start fouling. I think the lead maybe stretched to nine, nine, nine yeah. points, and then Ohio State uh, fouled Michigan. Michigan uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically missed some free throws, some some folks, um, and then Ohio State hit a few prayer threes to, to cut it to, to be an ultimately a five point game. But um, this game, like you said. Each team shot 50% from the field in both halves. Ohio State shot 50% for three for the game. Michigan 47.8%. Just a really well-played game, except for that really one bonehead behind-the-back pass. And also, I would say a lot of effort plays were very important in this game. But Ohio State, you know, it, it's very interesting. Uh, Dwayne Washington had his career high in this game. EJ Liddell also scored way above his average. Uh Everybody, a lot of people, if you look on social media, were talking about the matchup between Dickinson and Liddell because it was really a great matchup because EJ Liddell, in case you guys didn't watch, EJ Liddell is a much smaller big. He's 6'9", but he's very, very tough, very, very strong. Hunter Dickinson is 7'3", but pretty fast for his size. But it was a very interesting uh, matchup there because you have a center who's playing like, he was basically playing kind of a Kevin Durant style, although he's not as mobile and then you have Dickinson playing like like he was Minute Bowl, <laughs> kind of sticking only in the paint, uh, coming out to screen a little bit, getting a lot of offensive rebounds, but towering over everybody else, but still not able to step out and guard EJ Liddell from three, who was three for five and it's from three, and at some point was three for four, missed one late in the game. Uh, overall, the individual performers, there were a lot of good ones. I already said Dwayne Washington with a career-high 30. Uh, 12 for 18 shooting and 5 for 10 from 3, and that even includes a few missed really late game shots that they were just asking him to shoot because he was the only one with a chance to shoot them. Kind of the hot hand. I mean, probably would have shot better if he didn't have to shoot those. Uh, EJ Liddell, I said 23 points, 10 rebounds, big double-double for Ohio State. CJ Walker off the bench, 15 points in 32 minutes, though he's playing more minutes than some of the starters do. But I think one of the keys to this game for Michigan was not allowing Justin Arns to get yes. a single point. Yes, I circled um, that on the stat sheet. Zero. He is Ohio State's sharpshooter. Uh, I think the breakdown the last time I checked, the last time I was watching them play before this game, I think he had 62 three-point shots uh, attempted or, or made, actually, and two makes on the entire year. And actually, one of them was him stepping on the line unintentionally. So if you could, if you consider that, he only two shoots... Only two-point makes. Yeah, only two two-point makes. So if you consider that, he only... He, he shoots 90, 95% threes. 0 for 2 from 3. Only played 15 minutes. I don't remember him playing in the second half, if I'm going to be quite honest. He might have started the second half. Bit. But I don't think... I, I think uh, C.J. Walker took a lot of those minutes, actually ending up with 32 out of the 40 possible... Arns only had 15. That was a key to the game for 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 Michigan. So, and, and I don't recall uh, you you watch these things closer than I do. But um, who was checking Arns? Did they did they switch off? Was it was it um, Franz Wagner using it was, his length? It was it was uh, it was very it was very dependent on the possession, how it was flowing. You know, transition. Uh, so, it, it mostly there was never they never got a switch that they liked. I would say um, a lot of times Arns gets his three threes off off of screening for him, but. The way Dwayne Washington was playing, it made no sense to screen for anybody but him. Yeah. So it made sense, but um, but still, and if Dwayne Washington drove in and got and got open, then you'd think he'd we'd they'd be able to kick it out to Arns. But 
somehow, some way, I guess the passing lanes might have been cut off, but whoever was guarding him, I think it was a little bit of Eli Brooks, a little bit of Shondi Brown, and a little bit of uh, Franz Wagner. I don't think Mike Smith ended up guarding him that much. He was pretty much stuck on Washington the whole time, but... I think, yeah, overall, it was really just by committee, honestly. Yeah, and if you told Ohio State fans before this game that he would score no points, go 0 for 2 uh, from three-point land, uh, I would think that they would think they had no chance to win the game. And you, the one thing you mentioned earlier, the matchup, matchup of the big men, um, it actually ended up being a stalemate, but, uh, you know, Ohio State 22 was getting, versus 23, 23 points, 23, yeah. 23, one rebound different. Yep. I mean, really a stalemate, but it really kind of was a tale of two halves. It was Hunter Dickinson's... Uh, Hunter Dickinson's play really out in, in the in the second half. Michigan went through him. Uh, yeah, Seth Davis and Clark Kellogg actually said at the halftime of this game, the guys on CBS said, if you, Ohio State's got to pick if they want Dickinson to score or if they want Michigan to keep having open threes because one of them, no matter what, you got to let one of them beat you because you can't play both at the same time based off of Liddell's size. He's, he's just not able to guard Dickinson in the post as somebody else would be. Um they chose in the second half to let Dickinson go off. I wouldn't say that's the reason they lost. I, I think the game was so close that really it just proved that really neither of them were 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 effective letting us tee off on all our threes. And obvious and on honestly, we Michigan did miss a few open threes too. It wasn't like the one for ten was all contested because they were guarding it well. There were a few there were a few wide open misses, I, I'd say two or three in the second half, that made Michigan go one for ten in the second half. But uh, I, I highlighted Ohio State's individual performers, but I would like to highlight Michigan's. Uh, Ohio State, as I said, had three people in double figures, only three people actually above six points in the entire game. Michigan, on the other hand, had five in double figures. And if Franz Wagner didn't uncharacteristically miss free throws... Missed two free throws, then he, he would, also he would have been had in. 10, he had yeah. nine, yeah. So um, Livers scored 12. That was a little bit under his average normally, I think probably a point or two under. Dickinson was 8 for 14, 6 of 6 from the free throw line, uh, 9 rebounds with 5 offensive rebounds, and 22 points and 2 blocks. I think he won the matchup between him and Liddell, considering that if anybody were to score in that matchup, it would probably be Liddell. So the fact that he only got outscored by 1 point, Dickinson, uh, that was good for him. And also, Dickinson, 73% free throw shooter on the year, 6 of 6, was really important in such a close game. So getting the ball to Dickinson actually did result in some threes, because there were a few traditional three-point plays there, too, that, that didn't just entirely give up the three by getting the ball down to him. Sorry, you were talking about, I think, Michigan's uh, six six players, five with double figures. Franz would have been six. And the Franz bounce. Wagner did not play a great game, but he had he had three out of Michigan's seven turnovers uh, and One only nine points. Mi- yeah, but only had nine points and missed some free throws, missed a few open threes. Didn't look like himself, but one thing about Franz, if if you watch Michigan basketball ever, is that if he doesn't score, he does something else. Uh, he had six rebounds, and he had four assists, which is, I, I would say, is just enough of him doing other things to maybe say, look, I'm not confident enough to shoot this three, but I'll get my shot fake off, and I'll find the guy who's open who will hit it. And speaking of people who will hit it, uh, Eli Brooks went four for four from the free throw line, three for four from three, at 17 points overall, that's a, it's a great game for Nobody's Eli Brooks. Does not does not normally score uh, that much. Does not normally score in big numbers. He normally stays at around the seven to ten point range. Averages I think eight and a half about on the season. And then Mike Smith, also Michigan's facilitator, 11 points, seven re- seven assists, three rebounds. 
Very, very solid game for him, although shooting-wise, not really. He was 3-for-9 from the field, but he was 2-for-5 from 3. hit the ones that we needed him to. And uh, Shondi Brown shot 3-for-4 from 3, but all of them were in the first half, which just shows you that maybe Ohio State did key in a lot on that in the second half and had 15 points. But I will say the most impactful stat that he had, were, were it wasn't—maybe the threes were important in the first half, but his three rebounds might have been the biggest three rebounds, I think— that that could have been. He he extended one possession. I think that Michigan got four or so offensive yeah, rebounds had, on the he same had possession. Two he, on one no, possession. he had one on that one possession, yeah. but he also ended up with one on the next possession. He got the rebound on the defensive end to start that possession, took it down the court, scored, then on the on the play after Michigan missed a shot and he actually got the rebound again. So basically four straight possessions of Shondi Brown doing straight up work. And also, you know, I just want to highlight Shondi because the grad transfer is more important than recruiting in my mind at this point. You can see Kentucky walk in with six five stars, but their best player this year has been Olivier Saar, the grad transfer from Wake Forest. Not to mention the fact that Shondi Brown also is a grad transfer from Wake Forest. And Mike Smith also on Michigan is also a grad transfer. People are really underrating how much that market can affect your team. Uh, experience has been, especially in this COVID year, has been really, really important. And maybe, maybe it falls off a little bit next year with 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 uh, with experience being less important when hopefully the world is back to a better better place, easier to practice in the off season, get the summer tours in for the bigger teams. But Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, whoever you want to throw out as the teams who recruit ridiculously, they they're not playing well this year because they don't have experience. Uh, I would say North Carolina is the only big recruiting team that's playing well, maybe Kansas too. But Kansas has a returning defensive player of the year. North Carolina has a few has a few uh, has a few experienced players. And Michigan is kind of this example too, where we have Dickinson as a five star, but or near five star, but we uh, Zeb Jackson is sitting on the bench as a four star who probably would be starting at at a Kentucky. But it's a thing that. It's about the experience. It's not, we're not, Michigan's not giving minutes to people who, who I wouldn't say don't deserve them, but, but aren't going to play meaningful minutes. And it's really the experience factor. And I would say that that grad transfer market needs to be looked into. Kentucky's failure in the, is the opposite of Michigan and that they have no experience compared to Michigan's big experience. You come into the season as number 25, but you have experience. You're going to end up a lot better than who comes in as number six they will fall to the pressure if there are a team built with six freshmen. Yep, and we'll, we'll see what happens. These grant transfers can actually stay and play another year if they want. So rumor has it Mike Smith might come back from Michigan. All right, Patrick, any other thoughts on this game uh, before we move on to our next topic? I would just like to say I'm sorry that Wake Forest lost all their players and a coach because they had some really good players yeah, <laughs> that are playing very well for other big teams right now. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, that'll wrap up our in-depth look at the Michigan-Ohio State matchup. They may uh, face each other in the Big Ten tournament, and uh, who knows, it could be in the NCAA tournament, although if they keep playing the way they are, uh, the only way they'll face each other in the NCAA tournament would be in the Final Four. So uh, great game today, uh, fantastic action, and uh, we will move on to our next topic, which is a look back at the NBA. Let's start, as always, Patrick, with your thoughts on the most impressive teams of the week, starting with your most impressive team in the NBA last week. I give it to the Brooklyn Nets. They went 4-0 this week. They have six wins in a row now, and they also won after being down 24 points to the Suns. 
was a big comeback in that game. They beat the Kings, the Suns, the Lakers, and the Clippers this week. West Coast Tour for the Nets. They are the first. I talked a lot actually last week. I think I put three West Coast teams as my most three as my three most impressive and talked about them running through the East Conference, Eastern Conference, and this week the exact opposite happened. The Nets absolutely ran over the West. Uh, they got the best shots the West can ha- can hand out, except for the Jazz. And they beat them all. Uh, Kevin Durant not playing in either in any of these games either, and still beating them. Granted, yes, the Lakers did not have Anthony Davis, so you know a, a, a shorthanded matchup on both ends in that one. But the win against the Clippers that actually just happened was also a big win for the Nets. It's re- they're really proving that they are the second championship contender behind the Lakers, if not the leading championship contender. All right, are we sticking in the East for your number two team? Yep, and this time, instead of being at number two in the standings, we're all the way down, I think, at number 12. I don't know, they might be a little higher after this week. I'm going with the Washington Wizards. They went wow. 3-0, four wins in a row. The reason why is this. This team had so much hype coming into the year. They were awful at the beginning of the year. They have now, with this four-game win streak, they beat the Rockets, the Nuggets, and the Trailblazers. And in case you didn't know, Russell Westbrook does not like Damian Lillard. So that win was a little bit more than just a game. Um, Russ has been knocked out of the playoffs a few times by Dame. He also just generally, it's a big point guard battle. I bet it's also a big Twitter battle that everybody always fights about. Is Russ better than, is Russ better than Dame? Is Dame better than Russ? I'm pretty sure that's been a battle of who's the best point guard behind Curry for three or four years now. But, you know, I just gave it to the Wizards because it is crazy that a team that has been this bad goes for, gets four wins in a row and I think they deserve some credit for that on not and it's also not a weak schedule. This was a this was a hard schedule to go three and zero in. All right, and the last beast from the East this week, your third most impressive team. I gave it to the Raptors. I would have given it to the 76ers, but the Raptors beat the 76ers tonight. They beat the Bucks twice this week, and they also beat the Timberwolves. We could completely ignore that they beat the Timberwolves because, well, it's the Timberwolves. They don't really win against anybody. I think they have eight wins this year. Uh, but the two wins over the Bucks are really surprising. I talk a lot about how evenly matched teams normally split these back-to-backs one one against one. Them sweeping the Bucks was a big statement, and uh, the four wins in a row means that they are no longer in a in losing record, but still in the playoffs because it's the East territory. They're in. We're only a few games back of a top seed territory. They are sixteen and and in fifteen now, which. By the way, just talking about the Nets, they're only 19 and 12. They're only three games back of the two seed in the East all of a sudden after having a losing record, having an awful start to the season. And they've also beat they also beat the Sixers without Kyle Lowry. So very, very impressive from the Raptors. If they could keep playing like this without Kyle Lowry, they'll be back in their normal form with him later on. So if they win the championship, does Tampa Bay claim three major championships this year in sports? If Tampa Bay claims the championship for Toronto <laughs> winning, that would be ridiculous. But All right. Let's go to the flip side of the coin. Most disappointing teams of the week in the NBA, and I know this was a hard one for for you. Who was your most disappointing team of the week in the NBA? Had to give it to the Sacramento Kings. Seven losses in a row just can't can't go without being pointed out, though they don't have the worst losing streak uh, in the NBA. That one's coming up next. But um, no wins, as I said, 0-4 this week. Lost to the Nets, the Heat, the Bulls, and the Bucks. And really, it's not about them losing. It's about the fact that you give up 136 points to the Nets. I, I don't think I saw the Nets miss a three-pointer in that entire game. 
it felt like they were playing in practice, basically, just shooting the lights out of the gym. Uh, the Heat loss was a really, really close game, same thing as the Bulls loss, but at the same time, those are two beatable teams. When you had that big win streak, you should have followed it up. They were only they only avoided my most disappointing last week because they beat the Clippers at the beginning of the week. Otherwise, they would have been on it too. They went 1-3 and three last week, obviously, but the win was at the very beginning. That's seven losses in a row, but... Second second most disappointing team of the week, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, this is awful. Like, I, I, I maybe should have put them number one, but they have lost 10 in a row after a 10-11 and 11 start. They were in the playoffs picture because, again, it's the East and a losing record does make you does get you into the playoffs if it's barely under 500. Now they're way out there, 10-21 and 21 in the year. In case anybody didn't know, there's there's a controversy going on. They are sitting Andre Drummond while they look for options to trade him. There's a lot of controversy, uh, specifically centering around Draymond Green talking about the double standard between players and teams sitting out players. Everybody got mad at James Harden for not really playing his hardest, and yet here the Cavs are blatantly keeping Andre Drummond out of games, and nobody's blaming the organizations. That's a big double standard. That was important to, to call out. I don't talk about the Warriors often because they, I don't think, have had a three-game win streak this entire year. So they have never been good enough to be on my uh, most uh, most impressive teams of the week. But they also have not lost enough to be on my most disappointing. But just a little Warriors talk in there. And then number three, I went with the Lakers. If you only beat the Timberwolves in the week, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what you're doing. Um Granted, the losses are to the Nets and to the Heat. They were, so, I mean, the Nets game was semi-close, sort of close. The Heat game was very, very close, came down to the last shot. But this team needs to find a way to win a few games without Anthony Davis. Now four games into his injury streak. Find a way. Yeah, now four games in his injury, they are 1-3. and three, And if you include the second half against the Nuggets, where I think the game was less than five points at the half, and then he went out in the second half... They're one and four, which if you can include that game if you want. They need to find a way to win some games because that seeding is going to be important. You do not want to have to play a one, uh, the one seed and then also play the two seed. You'd rather at least play the three seed or the two seed first, especially considering if you are the three or the two seed and you know how talented this team is. But, I mean, to me, it's the fact that I don't even think with, with Anthony Davis, the way the Lakers are playing, that they would win the title because... LeBron is getting double teamed and finding open, like wide open shooters for three, and the threes aren't falling. Uh, it's not enough. They need to learn how to shoot the open threes again. Similarly, though, I will say it's a very eerie reflection almost of last year. I think they had a stretch where they didn't shoot over 40% from three in like 10 or 15 games in a row, something like that, and they had a really awful shooting shooting uh, performance from behind the line for a long portion of the season, and then towards the end, they started picking it up, and then by the time we got to the playoffs, they were shooting lights out and won the championship. So Lakers fans probably hoping that that happens again. <laughs> yeah. well, it's better to have the lull now than the playoffs, I guess. Yeah. All right, well, um, let's stick with the theme of the most impre- from the most impressive team comes your most impressive player, your player of the week in the NBA. I would like to, before I award my most impressive player of the week, I would like to give two people honorable mentions Joel Embiid scored 50 points, but had a really bad night tonight, and or 50 points a few nights ago, but then shot 5 of 19 from the floor tonight, or 6 of 18, something like that. And Jamal Murray had the highest shooting percentage 
in a 50-point game since Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, I thought he was, I thought he, <laughs> um, he was hands down going to be your player of the week. So the thing is, I had to, in a little bit of a segue in a second, I mean, 50 points is ridiculous on 84% shooting and 80% from three. But his team did not win all their games this this week, and the person who did have his team winning all their games was James Harden from Brooklyn. They He is really proving that that trade, there should have been more teams in that market. Maybe the Sixers should have traded Ben Simmons for him because he is averaging more assists than Ben Simmons and also scoring, I think, four times as much. So 31.8 points per game this week, 10.8 assists. Nine rebounds on 55% shooting. That is insane considering that he's a volume three-point shooter too. So he should not be shooting above 50% to be quite honest. And he's played the Nets into the two seed, one game behind the 76ers for the one seed. I don't think seeding matters. I think they're going to be able to run over the East pretty easily to be quite honest with the way that the Bucks are playing right now. Maybe the Sixers are their biggest obstacle. But I had to give some love to James Harden because, as I said, he got a lot of uh, a lot of hate after not really playing hard in Houston. But he's showing people that he he wasn't out of shape. He's not he's not having those problems. He is right in playing shape, and the assist numbers he's he if you only took his net stat would be leading the league in assists, which was something he's only done once in his career when he averaged eleven for Houston. Uh, five or six years back. Well, we certainly gave the Nets and Harden a little bit of grief right after the trade when they weren't uh, gelling and we were trying to figure out what was going on, but they've clearly figured things out. Though they still have a losing record against teams that have a losing record this season, and they're just, they ha- but they've only lost one game against teams so above they play 500. So they're playing to the level of their competition. They are really playing to the level of their competition. Also, maybe, you know, just a little bit of extra motivation when they play good teams. They know they're on national, they seem to definitely know when they're on national TV. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up our look at the NBA for this podcast. That also wraps this edition of our podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, February 26th, where we will once again take a deep dive into college basketball. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA tournament bracket predictions and his picks for next weekend's games, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com, and thanks again for listening.